0: Hey there, welcome to Claim the Stage, Episode 8. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm a speaker and author and your host. I'm also the founder of the Speaking School for Women, which reopens on September 29th. Mark your calendars. I will be accepting 20 students this time around. I already have a list of students who are ready to register when the gates open. So if you want to get on that list, be sure to email me, Angela at In today's episode, I interview Ken Lazat. Ken has an interesting job because what he does is turn everyday experts into thought leaders. And this question of like how to become a thought leader comes up all the time and I I tend to think it it's a more common question now because of the popularity of TED talks. Everyone asks like how do you get a TED talk and like what do you need to know and who do you need to know and how do you put one together and what changes after you have a TED talk? And we don't really talk about TED Talks in this uh, episode, but I think that that is was the catalyst for creating this question in people's minds about thought leadership. And I did a TEDx talk in Washington, D.C. in 2010, and then again in Springfield, Mass. in 2015. And I have to say, those videos continue to follow me around. I was just... Emailed last week by a startup in LA asking if I wanted to be part of their platform as an expert. And I said, well, yeah, before we get into that, I'm just curious how you guys found me. And they said, Oh, we watched your TED Talk in Washington, DC. And then we found your website. And I thought that's so interesting how much power and influence and longevity a TED Talk has because it lives online. The more views it gets, the easier it is to find. People share it. And in my first TED Talk, I did a cartwheel. And I can't even tell you how many people have walked up to me and said, are you that person who did a cartwheel on stage at TED? yeah I am and you know what you might be someone you might be listening right now and we may have never met and you may be thinking to yourself oh my god this is the same person I saw her (laughs) and it's funny because I may be the only person who's ever done a cartwheel on stage at TED which I'm proud of and uh, the reason I did that and it was really a last minute decision was because I thought I don't know, maybe like what if my whole career tanks after this? At least I did a cartwheel at TED. That was really like my only rationale. So I, this episode answers a lot of questions about how to be seen as a thought leader, the steps to take. And I think you'll be surprised at how easy it is. It's it's to me when I heard it, I thought, oh, that seems totally doable. And I'm already doing a lot of that stuff, so I think if I just keep doing it, (laughs) that will help my career a lot. And this is important for speakers because when you're seen as a thought leader in your field, it helps you to get more speaking gigs. People see you as credible, and it also helps you to land higher speaking fees. You can demand more when you have more of that credibility and platform built for yourself because you're a a well-known entity in your field. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to Ken Lazat. Enjoy the interview. On today's show, we have Ken Lizotte. Ken is founder and chief imaginative officer of Emerson Consulting Group Incorporated. It's a Concord, Massachusetts consulting firm that transforms its client experts into thought-leading gurus. Ken's keynote topics include getting articles and books published, creative thinking, and work-family balance. He's a former member of the IMC USA Board of Directors, five-year president of IMC New England co-founder of the National Writers' Union, a seminar leader at Harvard University, and contributing columnist at the American Management Association. Ken, thanks so much for being on the show today.
1: Great to be here with you, Angela.
0: We have so much to talk about. I read your recent book, and we're going to get into that a little later in the interview. And we have to talk about thought leadership. We have to talk about your background. And I'm just excited to get started because you and I chatted around a month ago, and I just felt like... Our introductory conversation had so much, so much content, so much great information that would be useful to speakers who want to be seen as thought leaders. So-
1: Wait, did, no, didn't we speak for about five or six or seven hours on the phone?
0: That time? <laughs> um, yeah, we it was got ra- through a lot, is what I'm saying. <laughs> we did, but there was so much more. <laughs> Right. Um, So I'm always interested in how people ended up where they are today. And most consultants I know didn't have this career in mind in high school, and most high school students probably didn't even know consulting was an option. So I'm wondering, how did you get into this type of work?
1: Right. Well, I thought that was a great question. Uh, um, I I was giving you some kudos before we started about your questions that you let me take a look at beforehand and they're great questions and they cause a a, an interviewee to kind of really reach down a little deeper than uh, the normal podcast so I I found this one uh, uh, I knew immediately what to answer though with this one Um, my work primarily you'll see as we talk further my work primarily has to do with helping people get published and uh, do writing and but mainly get published for business reasons and I have always been a writer myself and I first learned that in the eighth grade and I learned it in eighth grade because the eighth grade our eighth grade teacher had um, decided that that we were going to do a class newspaper and um, I got assigned uh, the job of covering the college football games that were at that time uh, broadcast on Saturday afternoon so I used to look, look at the games and take notes take very careful notes and then write up um, a report and I I always felt that my reports for sp- my sports reports were not going to be as good as as the guys in class the boys in class particularly who were the best athletes and I was like amazed that my reports, you know, in a certain way, were professional level. I was just had a talent for it, and the kids who were great athletes, much better than I, I, I got a chance to look at some of their their reports, and they were horrible. <laughs> I mean, they were illegible, illiterate. You know, yeah. so I learned early on that um, writing was my thing and that carried over into high school and and college and i wrote articles and columns and things and eventually got to a point where i wanted to uh become a full-time writer get paid for it uh publish books and um you know that uh, that that did happen as i went along uh in adult life
0: well being a writer is much different than teaching other people how to write and how to share their story so how did that skill develop or was that I don't know. Was that
1: another? You mean share, sharing the sharing the stories or teaching teaching people how to write?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm not really a writing teacher per se. Uh, what I do now is help business experts um, get themselves published, get their get their writing published. And when I started this business 19 years ago, I thought that what I was offering was a ghostwriting business, so that I would be writing for my my consultant clients and, and speaker clients and and, uh, and all clients. But I learned early on that my my clients, uh who are all very successful business people or speakers, uh, were wanted to write their own. And you know, we hear a lot about how um writing people's writing is terrible and people in business so so many of them can't write and this and that. I have to tell you that in nineteen years of working with business experts, rarely have I had a client who really couldn't write. So what I do, if I, if I, uh, if it works for my client, is to have our my client write a first draft of either a book or an article, depending on what they what they want to get published, and I provide editing for it and guidance uh maybe some coaching but not not so much teaching them how to write just kind of getting it in shape for for an editor or a publisher and then the rest of my business is to take the uh the steps along the way after that um, uh, onto my own shoulders and make sure that my clients get published so they don't have to be burdened by that that sort of thing Hmm. there are a lot of people out there at least in the business world because that's my my constituency who can write very well and they don't really need to be taught to write per se.
0: That's interesting, I I run across a lot of people who say, I want to write a book but I just don't think I can and I'm not a great writer, I don't think I have anything valuable to say and then I I check out their website and I look at their blogs I'm like, this person is a great writer. It's really funny how people think of writing a book as a different skill set than writing a blog post.
1: Right, I think for (laughs) a book in particular, a book is very, very overwhelming to a lot of people. I mean, there are two types of people in the world that I've found in doing this work. Um, one is a sort of person who really, truly, passionately wants to write a book, and and even if it's intimidating, is willing to take on the challenge. And the other is a, is a person who maybe kind of thinks they might like our book, but they're really put off by the overwhelming challenge of writing a book, and so they're probably never going to get to it. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of times people think that maybe it'd be easier to write and publish a book that's an e-book, for example, or something like that, as if that's somehow easier. But the reality is, it's the same process, <laughs> and there are plenty of ways to publish uh, a traditional print hardcover book—not hardcover, but hard copy book—these days, and uh, and and people can do it. They just don't know they can do it until they, you know, if they're lucky enough to get get right into it and, do it and try to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to talk more about book publishing a little later. I want to find out first, you're the chief imaginative officer at your company, and I want to know what that means exactly.
1: <laughs> right, the chief imaginative officer. Uh, well, um, I, I simply see my role as uh, bringing imagination to uh, and creativity uh, to my work and to my work on behalf of my clients and and that sort of thing, uh, so I wanted to get away from uh, the 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 usual title of president and CEO or whatever, and just uh, have it be a little more of a fun title. So I always say chief imaginative officer, and in parentheses CIO, and people get a kick out of that actually, because <laughs> we know a CIO is supposed to be a very high technique kind of officer, but yeah. CIO seems to be like a fun joke for people. So yeah, Albert Einstein, by the way, uh, was once quoted as saying, "Imagination is more important than knowledge." Mm. Coming from a guy who's associated with knowledge, um, that's, uh, that's 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 pretty interesting thing to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is a great lesson for anyone thinking about starting a business or who has a business, because you're in charge of what you call yourself. You can be anything you want, and there are no rules. And Ken, you definitely illustrate that with your title. Right. So, and I have one, like, this is my only non-business related question in the whole podcast, because I'm always interested in in the whole person. So I want to know, you know, since business owners work all the time, I'm interested in what other kinds of things you do when you're not working on your business. Like, what do you do in your spare time?
1: So, um. As I said earlier, books are my passion in a lot of ways. and writing, is my my passion, but mostly in the form of books. I always, as as I got into writing, throughout my school years and got associated with uh, with authors, uh, I, I I was very interested in, particularly in writing books, which is not not to say that I've written a hundred of them, but like some people actually have. But um, but I'm always thinking about books, or I'm always reading a book. Um, not a, I don't consider writing a book to be my my quote spare time, but you know books are sort of on my mind one way or the other. So that's that's one thing is writing, and another thing I love to do is run. So I've been running for thirty five years, and um, I always have thought when the the time comes that I'm going to move on, if you know what I mean. Then uh, it should either be while I'm writing or while I'm running. <laughs> <laughs> so I do that, and movies, of course, are. are everybody's favorite thing to do and mine as well. And I've got a daughter who just graduated from uh, college as a film major. So movies are, she, 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 she keeps us, my wife and I watching movies too, a lot. Movies that we wouldn't normally see.
0: Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite movie?
1: My favorite movie continues to be Casablanca. Oh. Casablanca. And um, I'd, I'd probably put the Godfather up there too and frankly, The Wizard of Oz. So I don't know. Whenever I start thinking about what's a favorite movie, Casablanca definitely comes to mind for me. Mm-hmm. But if I say, what are my top 10 favorite movies? Then I, I start listing them and I quickly go to 11, 12, 13, 14. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just stop at Casablanca.
0: Okay. <laughs> All right. I want to jump into some questions about thought leadership. And first, I'd love for you to describe your company, the Emerson Consulting Group, and if you could tell us a little bit more about who you serve and I know you said you help hook them up with publishers and is there anything else you do for them and kind of what's what what is your company all about?
1: Well, the overall uh mission is to make our clients uh famous uh in in the in their uh business uh in the segment of the business world that they are uh um, they are they operate in. In which they operate, I should say, and um, uh, so uh, the kind of people that are attracted to working to me with me are tend to be consultants of every kind: management consultants, or IT consultants, or uh, HR consultants. I mean, whatever, whatever, any type of a consultant. Consultant um, attorneys have been my clients. Um, professional service firms, speakers have been my clients, and people who are just just interested in becoming authors primarily um ceos and executives to some extent but but i say to some extent because the, the other groups that i just mentioned tend to be the kind of um professional that is um focused on ideas you know, a consultant for example needs to Often develop, let's say, uh, strategies for success for their client company. Um, attorneys obviously have to come up with a good, good, good plan of action for their clients and that sort of thing. So, um, someone who's part, uh, who's, um, um, um product, if you will, is uh, is basically their their imagination and, and their ideas and their intelligence um, tends to be attracted to mm-hmm. thought leadership. So that that's primarily who I serve
0: okay now you've written five books you've been featured in several. correction
1: may i correct you please i am uh uh, uh, we're going to talk about it later but i am about to publish my seventh book
0: seventh book okay yeah
1: that's my bad if i didn't put that in my bio (laughs) (laughs)
0: time to update the website (laughs) all right you're about to publish your seventh book you've been featured in several major media outlets and you're a speaker so i would say you're a thought leader in your own right and so I want to know, what would you tell someone who's interested in being a thought leader in their field? What are the first steps they should take?
1: Well, I, 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 in a, in a couple of questions down, you going to ask me what I call the five <laughs> pillars of thought leading, which was uh, it formulated for the previous book that I I've written and published, which is called The Expert's Edge. And uh, that's a a book about how to become a thought leader. And, you know, if people sometimes when they're going to write things, they worry about like giving away their secrets, you know, all the secrets that they have developed that they work with their clients. Well, if you want all my secrets, read that that my previous book because everything in there uh, expresses what I do with my clients. And the five pillars, um, I'll, I'll just skip to them a little bit. Here, because we're we're getting into it the five pillars start with um, the first one being publish your ideas so in our talking so far about books and and uh, and writing and all I would have to say if you really want to be a thought leader you need to know the most important one is to establish your credibility and your visibility by publishing your ideas now I would say that uh, that means um, publishing a book that's the best way. But if you're in that category I expressed earlier where you just know that you're not, you're not going to get there, then publish articles. Publish articles in trade media or business media or, or something other than your blog because I think that there's a, a certain third-party uh, tacit endorsement when you get published in journals and magazines. You can publish a, a blog as well, but I really think um, articles in the traditional um, format is helpful, is really helpful. But if the best way is to publish a book. But that that's what I would say to somebody in terms of how to get started.
0: How would you recommend they pitch themselves to be, you know, featured on a third-party blog or in a, a you know a massive media outlet
1: well uh in uh let me say that um in um chapter eight of my, the expert's <laughs> edge <laughs> it's all there um there's a process that i follow with my clients and i follow for myself and it's actually fairly simple but um um the the way typically to do it is to of course, get the email of, and the name of the person who either is an, a blogger if you want a guest blog there or an editor of a publication you'd love to be in and send them a, an article idea as opposed to a full-blown article. One of the mistakes people make trying to get published is they'll write an article and they'll they'll think, oh, I'd love to have it published over here and they'll like email it or mail, snail mail it or whatever and then they'll hear nothing and they'll assume that they're – being rejected out of hand, their writing is terrible, it's, you know, it's it's a bad article, etc. But the reality is more that editors are constrained by certain parameters uh, with in terms of articles, such as most important one being the, the length of the word count. So if you wrote an art rate write an article that's let's say 2000 words and you just send it into a publication and they don't have room for anything more than say 500 words they they're just going to dismiss it out of hand and probably not let you know either cuz they just they're so busy. Mm-hmm. So what I suggest instead is to formulate a list of article ideas, let's say 5 to 10 ideas that really uh speak to the expertise that you have and um and, and just a one paragraph, a headline and one paragraph for each of them. And and send or email those – email, of course, those to the editor or the blogger or whoever would have to sign off on you. And, uh, and then give them a choice to pick something out. And then when they pick something out that they like, they'll get in touch with you. They'll tell you how many words it can be. And they'll, they'll often tell you when they'd like it by because they've already – Sight unseen, they've already got your article in mind for a future issue or blog. So that's the way to do it in a a careful, systematic way in order to see that uh, you don't feel rejected right out of the gate and then think uh, that um, you're no good for this kind of approach.
0: Yeah, that's very helpful advice, and that's also a great time saver because you don't have to go out of your way to write everything. You can just share the idea and... (laughs) Yeah, it's
1: true, and uh, it's a time saver in that if you had 10 ideas and you wrote all of them, um, probably the law of averages from my experience is maybe two or three of them would be of of interest, the topics would be of interest to editors, and you can not only get those published, but you can get them republished and republished. And then there might be two or three that nobody has any interest in. So rather than going through all of that, see – Let's test it out and see, see which of your ideas um, are, uh, are attractive to editors, and, and those are the ones to, to put your, uh, your efforts into.
0: Awesome. I want to list out the top five pillars of thought leading and then get into some questions about them. Now you already mentioned number one publish your ideas number two is to speak before groups and followers and we're going to get into that in a minute number three is keep your edge with fresh thinking number four creatively leverage the internet and number five is vigorous use of social media so let's jump to number three keep your edge with fresh thinking tell me about that
1: so that that's something we actually do if we're business practitioners or professionals of any kind, day to day. But we we might take it for granted, and that is that um, if you again, if if you have to use your your thinking, your imagination, your you know reflection, etc cetera, on um, how you're going to uh, tackle a problem or a challenge, particularly for a client, um, you're going to have to come up with something. You are have to come up with some idea, and um, that. That moment, that idea it is, is what you could call fresh thinking, something new. You amass a number of those, 10, 20, 100, 1,000, uh, you've got um, the basis for either a book or article or articles, uh, a speaking engagement topic, um, etc. So you want to keep you first of all want to keep aware that you're probably engaging in fresh thinking uh every day but also another way to do it is to get get into it uh, get into it deeper with perhaps uh conducting a survey um like i did for for my next book which i know we're going to talk about uh, i conducted a survey about for, uh, from uh asking speakers uh, various questions about their how they've developed their speaking career But I've had clients who have um, surveyed uh, CEOs of companies about various business, you know, challenges. Um, If you were focused on, uh, let's say, the IT field or the human resources uh, field or, or, you know, whatever might be the the other areas in business, then you could do a a survey, 5, 10, 20, 100 questions, whatever, and you would undoubtedly – uh, reap some some rewards in terms of new ideas that again you could then translate into publishing um, and speaking so keeping yourself fresh is what it's all about
0: i have a follow-up question for that because i've been training women to become paid speakers and some of the women who took my course said i'm doing a subject i picked a subject that's just it's it's kind of an old subject for instance building self-confidence and their question is how am i going to stand out among all the other speakers who talk about self-confidence so do you have any advice for people who are maybe talking about a subject that's not fresh and new on how to make it appear fresh and new, or give well, the to-
1: it a... Yeah the, yeah, the topic might not be fresh and new, but you can possibly come up with fresh and new uh, concepts, uh, insights, uh, surprises, surprising uh, answers, etc. So don't assume that anything has been done so much that uh, there can't be something new. Uh, you know, that's one thing. The second thing is... Um, um if you go out to an audience and you speak uh, i I always love to use the, the the sales uh sales skills as as a good example for this for for a book or for speaking or whatever if you're a sales expert and you are working with clients um you know year in and year out on developing their sales skills, it probably when you get right down to it you're probably not doing anything that different from 100,000 other sales experts and trainers that have been out there for decades. But to that audience, most of them probably can learn from even the most basic uh, tenets or, or steps to take or skills to develop in order to be a great salesperson. So even if you, you if you in your own mind, don't think you've got anything really fresh to I would guess fifty, sixty, seventy percent of your audience, maybe even more, you do, because hmm. you got to. People have to start somewhere in terms of knowledge. So, I would say don't uh, don't assume that you don't have something new. Excellent. Or,
0: okay, and your fourth tenet is to creatively leverage the internet. Tell right. me about that.
1: Right. So uh, nowadays, people probably would think that what I'm talking about is social media because it's become so powerful and pervasive in our lives. Everything from LinkedIn to Twitter, and I've even heard that there's a there's a presidential candidate right now who's been using <laughs> Twitter. It's like, I'll have to, I forget his name, I think it's one syllable. <laughs> but in any case, um, the fact is I, I developed these um, about eight years ago when my book was published, and it's hard to believe, but at that time, Facebook hadn't even appeared yet and and linkedin had not really come on the scene i don't think to any great extent so what do i mean then mostly what i was noticing then was that the internet was taking over so much as we know the um, uh, amazon has just obliterated the the bookshop world and um, in my line of work uh, Including uh, public relations or publicity, the traditional press release was already no longer being sent out in the mail as it always used to be. It was being sent out over Internet wire services. So I could see that that there it was important when I developed this tenant to um, to understand to start to look at how the Internet could be utilized uh, in a in a way that advances your goals but here's the most important uh, leveraging of the internet that I I I believed in uh, let's say 15 years ago and I still believe it now despite all the uh, social media to best creatively leverage the internet you've got to have develop build and maintain an email list of your contacts and you've got to use it. And that means sending out what I call e-blasts, or people call them email blasts, from time to time, whether it's once a month, whether it's once a quarter, whether it's once a week like I do, uh, to send those out to all your contacts on a regular basis so they will remember you. And a lot of people don't do this and never have. When I go to speak, for example, I might have a room of, let's say, uh, 100 people, and I will ask them to raise their hands if they have an email list. And a lot of people don't raise their hands and then if I drill down into how if you do have it, have one, um, how well are you at maintaining it, how often do you uh, send something out to your email list, the hands go down. There are very few hands left left up uh, at the end of all my questions and I just think that's a hugely missed opportunity because we meet people virtually every day, we go and speak in front of audiences where there are 50 or 100 or more um, contacts, and we establish a relationship with all of these people, and then basically we don't contact them ever again. So people like to get onto LinkedIn, for example, and um, and make that connection, and that's fine, but uh, not all of us are checking our LinkedIn every day, or Uh, um, we're we're connected but in some ways we're not connected but there's one thing over the internet that virtually all of us do every day and some people like me are doing it like every other minute or something and that's checking email so that is something that people must do if they want to um, keep their network strong and keep reminding people who they are, what they do, what they have to offer.
0: Yeah. And it's a great place to feature your content. If you're writing blog yeah. posts, yeah. email people about it and let them know that it's there because they're not just going to show up at your website every day. So. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And that's what people are always, people a lot of times will be blogging and say, I don't have too many, too many visitors, it, it seems. And and that's because they're not getting the word out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you're right. The, the things we talked about uh, earlier, which be your ideas, let's say your article ideas, let's say you get an article published. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, well, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. you will have to see if the readers who don't know you, know them, um, will contact them in some way. Meanwhile, you might have a contact list of, let's say, 500, most of whom or all of whom have met you at some point and have a sense about you. Need to be reminded uh, exactly what you do because there's a lot of competition for your attention. And um, and this is a way to let them know that you have just published an article and here's here's the link to it. So it's something that uh, it amazes me that most people don't do in business. Um, but I advocate it. That's what number four really means to me, the fourth pillar.
0: Excellent. Let's jump to the speaking book questions. I want to let everyone know about your new book. It's called Speaker's Edge, the ultimate go-to guide for locating and landing lots of speaking gigs. Tell us about this book and who the book is for.
1: You know, it was for me when I first thought, <laughs> thought of it because I've I've sort of been frustrated over the years. I've done spe- a lot of speaking over the years. <clears throat> and, um, you know, after you've got to the point where your, 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 your presentation is going well and you've, you know, you've done enough practice and enough speaking and, um, you feel confident on the stage and, and, um, you, you kind of get through maybe the business of speaking and how to negotiate a paid gig and, and all those things. What still remains is how do I get my next speaking engagement? And, there are speakers, of course, at the top of the heap that are just constantly being contacted, and um, and that's great. But I think for 95% of us, um, we're, we're not getting uh, inquiries for bringing us into speaking every single day. And so what what I found with a couple of times I joined a, a, a speaker support group that was uh, somebody – had uh, formed and knew me and I'd go to these things and I didn't need to have all personally I didn't need to learn about how to be how to do well on stage and all that I'd gotten past that point the only thing I really wanted to know was could we trade leads or could uh, were, were we going to help each other literally find speaking engagements then I looked for a good book on the subject and I didn't see that um because most of the books are the whole ball of wax as far as uh, your speaking career. So that's what motivated me to start thinking about it. Plus, my second pillar is speak, speak to groups and followers. And I, I thought maybe I should know more about it than I than I do now from my own experience. So that's how it got started. And um, uh, the, uh, the idea uh, from there was to make it something that a speaker on any level could. Uh, could find some some kind of uh, gem, something of value. Again, those who are speaking day in and day out, week in and week out, uh, probably know most of what I have in here. But people who still do a lot of uh, frequent speaking can find some things uh, that would be helpful to them. And and there are also the basics in there. For example, if you're kind of starting out and you're wondering how would you get a, a speaking engagement with a, a national conference. Um, then i have a chapter on how you can successfully uh, formulate a, um, a formal proposal uh, and then there's another chapter on the informal proposals how do you how do you um, work your network let's say in order to get gigs in that way so we kind of tried to take all the basics and um, and make it something that everybody could learn something from
0: Yeah, I found the book to be very actionable and easy to follow with a lot of really unique, helpful advice. And there was something you did with this book that was very unique. You sent out a survey to successful speakers to get their take on different elements of the speaking business. And can you tell us about some of the most surprising feedback you received?
1: Sure. Um, Interestingly, the... um... I'm looking at the ranking right now of of, of what uh, uh, how people um, uh, responded in terms of how they got speaking engagements. I had a lot of different questions in there, but one of them was how how have speaking engagements typically come to you? And the and the f- first one is um, not so surprising really when you think about it, and that was referrals and networking. One can imagine that that would be, you know, in business. Um, the, the way that it would normally happen if you're doing enough networking and, and the other things, like I said, sending out uh, e-blasts to your contacts uh, every week or every month uh, it's in order to drive referrals. So referrals and networking is uh, what most people responded in terms of how do they typically find or land speaking engagements. The second one was um, surprising in a pleasant way for me. Because the second one was direct result of publishing. You know, I, I, that was a little surprising that that would actually be a, a, enough of a positive response for s- the survey takers. But there it was, and they were saying they publish books, or in some of them, they publish articles. Um, in some cases, they said they publish their blog. And um, somehow that attracted people. Uh, say a meeting planner an event planner to know about them and to approach them so that was that was the 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 other aspect of um, surprises which in a way wasn't a surprise but might be to other people down at the bottom of the list the things that didn't work the very very bottom was advertising and cold calls Mm. did not it was zero as far as how many um, people said that that helped uh, another was media interviews getting interviewed by the media only one person out of um uh, there were 35 that took this um cited that as uh being helpful at any at any point so uh, uh referrals networking direct result of uh publishing and then the next one down was internet presence so if you take a lot of what we've been talking about so far, those are those are ways to um, uh, develop your speaking uh, agenda or schedule, I should say.
0: Yeah, I would say those sound like right on, except for the last one about the media interviews. Like, I don't think of people doing media interviews in order to directly get a yeah. speaking gig, but I do th- see it as a way to build their credibility to be recognized as someone who could do a speaking gig.
1: It's 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 something to do, and um, you know my my fifth pillar is vigorous use of, of the media, and what I mean there is traditional media more than social media, and um, a lot of people feel like that's one of the best things they can do is to get them get publicity for themselves by being interviewed for an article, uh, whether it's in the New York Times or it's your local business newspaper. Um, but I pu- I purposely put that fifth out of five because I have a lot of experience myself with uh, u- using the traditional media, whether that's getting on TV. I've been on TV a number of times, uh, doing radio interviews, getting uh, profiled or interviewed for a newspaper, let's say. And while it's helpful, I've also done enough of it to know that it's not always. It doesn't. You don't always see a direct benefit from it. So I'm not saying don't do it, but I, but understand that it's probably effective as a supplement as opposed to, um, so, you know, some, sometimes people think that's the main thing to do. That's the only thing they do. And I think that's a big mistake.
0: Hmm. So if I only have five minutes to read your book, what would you hope I took away from it?
1: Thing about a thing that, that most comes out of the interviews and the stories in the book is um that if you you want to be a speaker that's doing a lot of of speaking um the the bottom line result when you clear away all the other strategies is get out there and speak (laughs) i mean as simple and basic and sort of oh duh uh, is that right Uh, i i was fascinated years ago and i never forgot this uh this particular uh very very successful speaker who you may or may not have heard of, but his name is Larry Winget. He's done a few books and he's he's all around the the speaking uh, um, National Speakers Association world and he does paid speaking engagements and all. And he he made himself a speaker uh, when his um, professional life uh, fell apart and he lost his job from a major company he worked for and all just didn't know what to do but he knew he always wanted to speak so he got very involved he used imagination to get very involved into into what kind of tactics he could use and he could develop and he came up with all kinds of crazy loony tactics and this and that but he found what worked and what didn't work and uh he came to speak in the boston area uh years ago and um he went through a lot of this, you know, try this, he could try that, I did this, I did that. And at the very end of his, his, uh, his talk, he said, um, um, "He said, but you know what, the best way of all to get speaking engagements is just to go out and speak. Yeah. Now he was the most, he's the most creative uh, I've ever heard of uh, in terms of uh, trying to develop ways to go out and speak, but he, that was his conclusion when, when it push came to shove.
0: Yeah, I would say every speaker I've ever asked about that, you know, what's the best way to get speaking gigs? Undisputed, it's always just keep speaking, just get on stage. <laughs> right, exactly.
1: Because <laughs> it's like doing an audition, even if you're yeah. getting like 10 grand, let's say, for some keynote address, even there, maybe even more so there, you're doing an audition for somebody in the audience who might want you to speak at, you know, at their company or their conference or whatever. So get out, be visible. That's the most...
0: Absolutely. I, should,
1: I shouldn't have said it like that though. Cause now who wants to read my book? They, oh, they, all... they, they know everything <laughs> they need to know.
0: There are like 400 other takeaways. We didn't even get to cover. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be podcast number 10 through 45. We'll exactly. get to the rest of the book. So right. I want to do my five quick questions with Ken. Um, my first question is what's the one piece of advice, the number one piece of advice that you would give to women who want to be paid speakers?
1: Well, become a thought leader, and particularly become a book author. Awesome. Um, again, if you if you can't handle it, and I said it because I know a lot of people can't, but uh, then do articles. But the absolute best way is, is for the for the credibility value, for the visibility value, um, for the fact that if you do a book, uh, you're going to have a, a fair amount of material that you can turn into speaking engagements. Um, being a book author is probably the best way to, to begin.
0: Excellent. And number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it?
1: Make my clients happy.
0: Nice. <laughs> Easy. Number <laughs> that's, three.
1: <laughs> that's what I would say with my, my, the people that work with me. I said, no, well, you made her happy, you made him happy. You made them happy. And, um, of course we we're, everybody's business is going to make their clients happy in a different way. So it doesn't just tell jokes and make them happy. But, um, that, that's that's I think that should be the driving force for all of us, make our clients happy.
0: Mm-hmm, I agree. Uh, number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self?
1: Yeah, that was a good question. Um, don't be so afraid. <laughs> Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember when I was um, starting out as a freelance writer in my 20s, right around that time, and I was afraid, uh, believe it or not, back in that time, there was no internet and there was no email so you couldn't hide behind that you had to actually get on the phone and call an editor and pitch your idea to the editor and it was very intimidating so i wanted to get through it uh and i decided to to get hypnotized there was a hypnosis center near where i lived and i went and i only had to take a couple of uh, sessions but it got me through it so that i had a had more confidence and um now what i've realized about pitching in the specific uh, issue, pish, pitching ideas to editors, is that it, it, there's no need to be afraid, because it isn't about rejection, really. It's about numbers. When I, when I work on behalf of one of my clients, and we have article ideas, um, we send a number of article ideas to a number of editors. And typically, maybe one out of 20 editors will respond positively This goes for book publishers, too. The other 19 don't even respond. Who cares about them, though? We got the one that responded uh, positively. So um, you're going to ask me next what would my 75-year-old self, and I I wrote a note to that, and I said, remember the advice you gave to your (laughs) 25-year-old self.
0: (laughs) Do you you feel like you're still trying uh, to to live life fear fearlessly
1: I would say so right yes yes be fearless and know that uh, there's there's no no really good reason to be afraid and then there is a book that I think is still around but it, it, it was a great book written years ago with the title feel the fear and do it anyway yes nowadays people say fake it till you make it you know but I love that feel the fear and do it anyway and pretty soon we all know that drops off, and then we're confident. We're not really afraid. <laughs> you do enough of it, and you start getting bored instead of being afraid.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, if, uh, number five is if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick?
1: Yeah, that was a tough one, but uh, but you know, book came to mind. <laughs> that <Book>. makes sense. <laughs> and, it, and it's not because I'm reading a book, books all day long, walking around carrying books, although there was a time. When I did, I always have uh, a book in my backpack or something. But, um, you know, for me, as I was saying earlier, I I just always was taken by books, writing books, reading books or whatever. So I think that probably works for me.
0: Okay. Well, speaking of books, where can listeners find your book?
1: Sure. Well, uh, the easy answer is everywhere. (laughs) Um, But uh, certainly on Amazon, um, also in Barnes & Noble and uh and and any any bookshop um you know nowadays amazon has got the market so much that a lot of books you go into even a barnes and noble superstore and you might not find any, any any book that you're looking for but you know what they do you the and ask about it we can order it for you <laughs> so you can order from barnes and noble you can order it from your local bookshop or you can order it naturally on amazon and I don't know what the easiest thing nowadays seems to be to just point people to Amazon.
0: Mm-hmm. Is there anything you'd like to share with our audience in terms of like upcoming events or anything special you have going on?
1: Well, I'll tell you um, if anyone's listening and would like a free autographed copy of my book, they can't just have it just cause they want it. But I do have something I'd like in return. And that is this, I would be willing and, and, we, you and I did this, uh, Angela. I would be willing to send a PDF copy, no no charge, to someone um, if they'd be willing to review my book. And uh, well, I need the reviews, by the way, for for Amazon. A- and I'm not. I wouldn't require a good, great review. I wouldn't be upset with that. <laughs> but I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna edit the review or make a judgment you can write the you can write just the most atrocious review oh, this is the worst book I've ever put my eyes on I will still send you a copy I don't know why you'd want it in that case but <laughs> but if, if you if anyone's willing to do that that's listening um, they should uh, they should send me an email or go to my website uh, sign up for my uh, e blast and uh, uh, yeah I, I would uh, I would make that deal.
0: Okay, speaking of your website and your email, how can we find more information about you? What's your web address?
1: Okay, so the web, is, web address is, is uh, thoughtleading.com. It's thoughtleading as in thought leadership, obviously, but it's with an I-N-G, thoughtleading.com. And if anyone would go there and, and look over my website, um, if uh, I would encourage you and uh, invite you uh even beg you to uh join my email list <laughs> <laughs> because this is you know th- this is a, this is a great example of what I was talking about as is speaking engagements someone uh, who speaks on a podcast or goes out and speaks uh to an audience very often what we do is say thank thank you very much everybody or thank thank you angela or, and that's the end of it but uh, anybody listening to me that would like that has, has appreciated whatever I have to say and might want to learn more. You don't have to become a client, but if you became um, a subscriber to my email list, we have created a, a relationship that we can build on over potentially over the years. And I think all, all of us should do this in business, but I'm, I'm putting that out to invite people to sign up for my e and uh I will not get angry if they uh unsubscribe uh you know nine ten years from now but. okay. But hang on for a little while. You might find something you like.
0: Yeah, I'm a subscriber and I was, I was thinking about I'm subscribing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm a subscriber and I love, I love what you're sending out. I think it's very valuable. It's interesting. It's not too frequent, but it's frequent enough that like, oh, here's something from Ken. Like I'm interested in reading it and checking it out. So I, I highly recommend everyone gets on Ken's mailing list. And my last question for you is what does it mean to you to claim the stage?
1: yeah that's that was a great question too, Angela and um, I thought of this know when you're on the stage that the people in the audience they are there to hear you they want to hear you they want to know what you're here to tell them or to share with them and um, a lot of times people get uh, you know they have stage fright or anxiety or whatever i got over that at one point I, got, I just got sick of being anxious it just i just didn't like it anymore so uh i said no how could i see this as something that um wouldn't cause anxiety and i conjured up the notion of having lunch if you have lunch with someone particularly one person but it could be two or three you're in a much more comfortable position Um, you will have conversation and everyone will share, but in particular, you will share with with them. And if you just think of your audience as like you're together to have lunch, you're together to meet, you're together because uh, they are, everybody there is an individual person that you could be meeting with one-on-one, then you just start sharing what you're there to share. And for me, it's it's made it... uh, okay, I'm, I'm good. We're all here for one reason. And, um, you know, let's do it. Let's share. So that's how I claim the stage.
0: That's a great way to end. It's, it's, it's like a relaxing view of public speaking versus, you know, what people think of all the time. Like it's me against the audience and I have to perform instead. It's just, you're inviting them to have a conversation and that feels really comfortable and just relaxing. So thank you for that. Ken, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. You gave us so much to think about about publishing, about speaking, just about how to become a thought leader in today's world. And I want to thank you so much for all your insights and imaginative ideas.
1: <laughs> thank you for having me. I, uh, as I say I enjoy uh, I enjoyed the podcast with you, but I also loved your questions that you you have for us, have ready for us. So, thank thanks for that. Very stimulating.
0: <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. I know I did. I know I got a lot of really great pointers out of that. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please consider subscribing. I put out a new episode every week with interviews featuring thought leaders and experts and authors and bestselling selling authors well authors of all kinds and uh, speakers and just all around cool people who I feel are doing great work and I want to highlight them and also have them share their expertise with you and if you like what you're hearing please also consider reviewing and rating my show the more people who do that the more people can find it it's a cool little thing that's on iTunes and you could also subscribe rate and review on Stitcher and my show is also on my website if you just feel like listening over there. Um, thanks so much for tuning in today. Next week, I will be bringing you an interview with Amber Duggar. Amber is so cool and I cannot wait to tell her story and tell you the story about how we connected and how impressed I am with her ability to pitch herself. And I'm going to share how she did that on the next show and how she basically secured an interview on this podcast in about five seconds through what she wrote in her email to me. So I will see you then. Well, I'll talk to you then. And in the meantime, have a great week.